Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. How many of you noticed every Sunday, well, every Sunday except for the first Sunday of the month when we do communion, every Sunday there are prayer partners on one side or the other of the day? How many of you guys noticed that? Okay. Um, I want to share Maria came in this morning. Maria, wave your hand at everybody right there. Maria came this morning, and she handed me this little piece of paper, and it says here, tell everyone that I was healed from trigemino. And I'm like, what is this? So I looked it up. Can someone throw this up on the screen? This is my screenshot. It's trigeminal neuralgia, worse than your last name, (laughs) neuralgia. It's a chronic pain condition that affects the uh, trigeminal nerve in the face. And there's a section on here. It says here that the treatment can help, but this condition cannot be cured. But her note, she said, a couple of weeks ago, came in for prayer, came down front, and God healed me of that condition. So that, that pain is gone. I just wanted you guys to know God heals. He heals today. It's happening in our services. It's happening in our homes. And I am just grateful for your testimony. I know that people were being prayed for this morning. It looked like something may have happened. Well, I may have another testimony coming up soon. But God is good. And I want to encourage you that he still moves. And we're going to be talking um, about about faith. We're going to be talking about the supernatural today. I'm going to go to several different examples of supernatural in the Bible, and I kind of want to look at them together, and we're going to look for common ground. You guys remember the story in Luke chapter 5. The Bible says that when he, speaking of Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and have, haven't caught anything. So here we have a professional fisherman who spent the entire evening fishing. And then Jesus, not a fisherman, says, put your net on the other side of the boat. And of course, you know Peter is thinking, but I have had my boat all over the place. Whether it's the right side or the left side, what difference does it make? Because if the boat moved, I've been to that spot. I tried that location. But he says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. The supernatural came. How many of you remember the story of the Jericho? And and now the Israelites went around and around. I'm going to read what Jesus, or what God, said. In Joshua 6, 2, it says, And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho 
into your hands. I always find it interesting that the way God says that, he says, I have delivered. Any English majors in here? All right, nobody. All right. Any grammar Nazis? (laughs) Have delivered. Yeah, my wife raises her hand. (laughs) Have delivered is what tense? Past tense. He says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in the front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Now, that was verse 5. That's what the Lord said. Verse 10. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voice, do not say a word until the day I tell you. He told them to be totally quiet. How many of you have ever been on a road trip with a bunch of kids? And you ask everyone to be quiet. Don't. Just, just give me five minutes of quiet. How well does that work? <laughs> Joshua told them not to say anything until the day. Now, he wanted them to obey. <clears throat> I've wondered sometimes. It, maybe... They recorded a less than complete list of everything the angel said and the angel had specified. Or maybe he just understood human nature and he was just like, listen, in order to obey, I need you guys to not undermine this, not start talking amongst each other, getting all, what in the world are we doing this for? Why are we going around this thing? This is the fifth day that we've gone around Jericho. I mean, you can just imagine what's going on in their minds. What good is this going to do? But Joshua convinced them to obey. And we know the rest of the story. At the final lap, when they had finished the the seventh time around, then they shouted, and then what happened? The walls came tumbling down. The walls came down that the Lord had already referred to. What happened then, the Lord had already referred to in past tense previously. It's interesting that they stepped out and obeyed. They trusted what God said. Peter, with no good reason to do so, other than Jesus saying, I'm asking you, to do this, Peter trusted. One of my favorite verses regarding this we find in the story of Abraham in Genesis 22. So we remember the story of Abraham. 
Abraham was promised that God would do great things through his descendants. And then he didn't have any. God promised to make him the father of many nations, and he had no kids. And his wife couldn't have kids, and he thought he could, like, game the system, so he tried to get, you know, have a child through a different woman, and God said that wasn't the plan. Eventually, God miraculously opens his his wife's womb when she's over 90 years old. She has a child. And this child represents to Abraham the fulfillment of all of God's purpose. He knew, he had all this, he had a laundry list of, of, of promises and, and a future that he was looking for, forward to and all of it went through that one kid. And then God says to him one day, he says, I want you to take Isaac up to a mountain and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Just imagine, I mean, as a parent, that's just a crazy thing to think of. But then add to that that it's his only kid and add to that it's the only way that he believes he can fulfill. There's a different scripture in the New Testament that says he assumed God would raise him from the dead. He just, God, you promised. And when, when they're on the way, he says, his son says, well, where's the sacrifice? We have everything. We have everything to, but we have the wood, we have the coals, we have everything along, but usually we bring a sacrifice and we don't have one. And his dad says, replies, the Lord himself will provide. The Lord will provide. He was so trusting in God. And then this is what it says in verse 15. This is what had happened. He, he got ready. He, he was going to sacrifice his son. The Bible says he raised his arm up. And then an angel, a messenger from the Lord, called out to Abraham. And I'm reading it the second time he called out. He says, the second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We've talked about this before. Who are the descendants of Abraham? The Israelites. The Israelites, the Hebrew people, are the descendants of Abraham. Today, Israel provides more food per acre for the world than any other nation. Today, there are more um, patents made per individual coming out of Israel than nobody, everybody who has a cell phone has stuff from Israel in it. Israel has been and is continuing to be a blessing to the world. That verse is being fulfilled today. But here it's what it says. He says, because you have done this. Because you did what? 
What? Because he, and then at the, the end of the verse, it says this again. It says, because you have obeyed me. Oftentimes, we are excited to see the supernatural. How many of you guys like to see the supernatural? I love it. I am, I am so grateful for every time that God has moved in my life and moved in this church and moved in individuals here. And, and we want to see that. The Bible says here, God had, God had planned all of these blessings for Abraham. And then he says, it is because you obeyed that you'll see them. Because you obeyed, you will see them. I've said it this way. Obedience releases the supernatural. Obedience releases the supernatural. Think about it. We could, we could go on and on and on through biblical examples of when the supernatural was like not evident. You knew it was part of God's plan, but you don't see what's happening until they obey. The priests are carrying the Ark of a Covenant towards a river. God has told them, I'm going to open it. But he doesn't. Should they have stood there and waited? The Bible says that as they stepped in, when the water got to their ankles, when they obeyed, then suddenly God opened the river. Obedience is so much, it's, it's so often we look in Scripture and we see that obedience was the release of the supernatural. We shared the story, I don't even have this one in my notes, but we shared the story about Naaman who was healed of leprosy. You remember that? And how he went and he was expecting some major thing. And then the prophet of the Lord sends his servant out. And the servant says, go dip in the river seven times and you'll be fine. And he just loses it. He had traveled all this way, brought so much riches. He had done all this stuff. He was ready to pay a major price for a miracle. But not that. He almost missed his miracle until one of his servants convinced him and said, look, if it had been something huge, if you had been asked to do something hard, if it had seemed obvious, would you do it? It's like, well, yeah. Then why not do this simple thing? Okay, I'll tell you why not. Because he didn't realize in his mind that that was the test. I remember seeing a short little clip of a person who was on their way to a job interview. And they're on their way and they're running a little bit late, so they end up in the parking area and there's somebody about to pull into a parking spot. But they're late. This job interview is very important for them. So they just dive in and take it. And they hop out of the car and that other person is like, what? And they just shrug them off, give them a rude gesture, and off they go. Thrilled that they're going to make it to their interview on time. 
they wait a little while. Then they get brought into the person's office who's going to interview them, and guess what? (laughs) It's the person whose spot they just took. Now, they were ready to do so much to get this job. They just didn't realize when the interview started. They didn't realize which action was actually being seen and noticed and made a difference. So often, we, we're, we're, we're quick to say, I would. Man, if I was in the old, man, I tell you what. If I was one of the disciples and this had happened to me, if, if I had been there, I'm sure I would have gotten that one right. I would do that. I would do that big thing. But how many of you realize they don't come with labels? When God asked, yeah, you ever think about this? Sometimes this just blows my mind. The original sin, what was it? It was disobedience. But I mean, did they rob a bank? Did they shoot some They ate from the tree they were told not to. You know, we famously think of it as an apple. Maybe it was. Maybe it was something else. Some fruit. That's all the Bible says. But if, if they had known in advance how much that mattered, their obedience mattered, would they have done it differently? 1 Kings chapter 17, 7 through 16 says, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came, Go at once to Seraphath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. So he went to Seraphath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may drink? As she was going to get it, he called, Oh, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering these few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's pretty heavy. He just, he just asked this woman for a piece of bread. Come to find out, she is preparing what she expects to be her very last meal. And she's about to prepare a little bit of bread. Not only does she have the widow card, but she also has like the single mother card and a little kid card. And she's like, all of that. She is a single mother with a baby, last meal, and he just asked her for bread. I mean, we can, you can imagine the, the, the titles, you know. Traveling evangelist asks for last meal from widow, single mother, How does Elijah respond? Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you have said, 
But first, in other words, go ahead and make the bread your last meal. But first, a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away. She did as Elijah had told her. There was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. That miracle, that continuous miracle of, the, of the, the flower that just wouldn't run out. It required obedience. We look at that and we say, why? It, so many times as, as a pastor, it is, it is hard not to realize the way that people see when, when we encourage people to give. Because people don't look at it from the biblical perspective. Was he a jerk for asking that woman for that piece of bread? Not at all. He had her blessing. And he knew. And he even told her. He said, hey, I'm asking you to do this so that for this, is the way he puts it, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not. He says, man, dare to trust God. Dare to trust that the supernatural will add to the natural. When we look at that situation, we recognize God has given, and, and so often, I mean, we get, we get excited. We're like, okay, if God, if God asks me to do something, great. And we're like Naaman. Man, if God comes and, and he does something special and he waves his hand around, then I'll do it. Here's what I believe. I believe that many of us, we know what God has asked us to do. But we're hoping for a different test. Like, give me, give me something else. Luke chapter 12, 48 says, From everyone who has given much, much will be demanded. From one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. How many of you realize that you have been given much? First Timothy chapter 6, I want to read this. It says, command those who are rich. If you're rich, raise your hand. In this present world, I don't see any hands. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What did he provide it for? For our enjoyment. God is not against 
us being blessed and enjoying what we have. He provided for us, for our enjoyment. Then it says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, I asked if you were rich to raise your hand. If you have a house to stay in each night, compared to many people in the world, you're rich. If you have a car to drive, compared to most of the world, you're rich. If your car has a house, a garage, you're rich. You know what? My car has a house. My car doesn't get to be in the house. My wife's car gets to be in the house. And then we have bikes and, and lawnmowers and, you know, like all of these other things. But so my car doesn't get to stay in its house, but it has one. I recognize I'm rich. According, uh, let's see, where do I have this? According to the World Bank economist, Branko Milanovic, in 2012, he said, to be in the top 1%. All right, how many of you heard about the one percenters? Okay, to be in the top 1% globally, not talking about compared to other people in Holland, not talking about other people in Michigan, but just top 1% in the world, all you need is an income of $34,000 a year. Now, if you're like, well, that's what, here's, here's what 34,000 looks like. If you worked 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, that would be 16.34 an hour. That's top 1% in the world. Now, you could make less than that and then have some overtime and still be in the top 1%. And if somebody in here is going, well, <clears throat> ha, I'm off the hook because I don't quite make 16.34, I only make 15, 12, 15. Or, do you realize you might not be in the top 1% globally, but you're still in the top 2 or 3 right? We recognize we are blessed. Say it with me. I am blessed. I am, blessed. I am, rich. I am rich. Now let's read this again, recognizing this is talking to all of us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. What's that saying? Our wealth is not where our hope comes from. That's not what's going to save any of us, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides. Who provides for us? Is it our wealth who provides for us? No, God, who richly provides for us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says, One man gives freely, yet he grows all the richer. Another man withholds what he should give and only suffers want. What is that? That's what happens when the supernatural comes into play. When we are generous 
according to what God has asked us to do, when we're obeying him with our generosity, then even as we give, the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense, but that's where the supernatural comes in. What releases the supernatural? Obedience. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. I wanted to share with you guys an opportunity we have to give right now. So this past week, um, there is a ministry, and I cannot give you a lot of details. I can tell you more afterwards if you're super interested and you want to talk to me, but because we're online, I can't say a lot. But there is a ministry that is in one of the countries next door to Afghanistan. They, uh, God has done a great work in that place over the years, raised up leaders who have influence, connections, understandings of what to do. And they are going to the churches that they had previously helped to start in Afghanistan and are saving the lives of many of the Christians who are now in the target of uh, the Taliban who is and confirming confirmed reports, they're going around requiring people to recant their faith or die. And they're going in there. Last, uh, as of last week, they had just pulled out 350 um, Christians. That was on Wednesday. Thursday, they, they rescued 30 children. Um, and there's I don't want to tell too much about their story because I don't want to give it away and I don't want anything to be there. I was asked to be very, very restrictive in what I, what I would share. Um, we do, I don't want this picture to show up on the feed, so where do I have to stand? And I'll show you a picture of some of the Christians who were just, um, who were just rescued previously. Um, so far, they have spent $85,000 many of it in bribes, to try to pull them out. At present, their average is $167 per person that they've saved. We're going to take an add to our offering today. I can't say that we'll do this next week and the week before because we don't know when these opportunities are going to end. But we're going to give towards the work they're doing this upcoming week. And I don't know that it'll be $167 per person because it may work out differently. They anticipate that they don't foresee that it would go over $320 per person. But we don't know. But we're going to go give as a church towards this. I want to invite you guys to give. If you put on your envelope or on your online giving that this is missions, then we're going to put it towards this as long as that availability remains. Um, that it would be something above and beyond our tithes and offerings. And then I, I also want to read here in Malachi 3. It says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. 
Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. As I was going through and as we've been reading these stories about different people in the Bible, and I want to encourage you to go to Hebrews 11. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, they call it the, the heroes of the faith. And you just see a laundry list of people who trusted God and, and the miracles and the amazing things that took place. And then towards the end, you see that even a few of them gave their lives as martyrs. But the Bible says, we're seeing these stories over and over about how people trusted God. They dared to trust God. My question to you guys is, do you dare trust God? Now, this is, this is, this is the fun part. Do you trust him with your money? Because here's the thing. I feel like many of us are like Naaman. We're like, okay, God, come out here. Do something fantastical. If you ask me to throw a, a, a fleece out, I'll do it. If you ask me to do this, that, or the next thing, I'll do it. And then God says, well, bring the tithe. Just, just, just the tithe. And you're like, okay, what else do you want me to do, God? What else? I want to challenge you guys to trust. For some of you, you say, hey, been doing it all along? Love it. Been tithing? God blesses me. Other of you have said, I don't know. I've, I've always been really nervous about doing it. Now listen, I'm going to make you an offer until the end of the year, all right? We are a little over 100 days from the end of the year. The Bible says this. I'm going to read this scripture again because I want you to know where I'm pulling this from. It says, bring the whole tithe. Tithe just means tenth. That's what that word literally means is tenth. Bring the tenth into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Did you guys hear that? The Bible said that we can test him in bringing our tithe. As that, I'm going to make this offer. If you will tithe for 90 days, tithe with the envelope, tithe online, put tithe on, on it and record it for 90 days, and you do not believe that God has blessed your giving, we will return your money. You just come, ask me. Say, hey, I tried it for 90 days. I tithed. This came through. I can't make ends meet. Can I have my tithe back? I will return it to you. Okay? Test me now in this, God says. What does he promise? That he will open the windows of heaven and make what happens when we obey. When we dare to trust, we release the supernatural. Okay? So if you have ever been nervous about it, if you've been considering becoming a tither and you said, I just don't know, it's too big of a risk. I'm, I'm going to stand with you on this verse and we're going to test God together. Like I said, you need to give in a recordable way. We keep track. If you, if you give, you're going to put your name on the envelope or you're going to give through our online thing. You're going to put there. And this goes for you if you're watching me online. 
Same goes to you. I encourage you. I double-dog dare you <laughs> to trust God. Dare to trust God. Give. I am not doing this for some selfish reason, thinking that somehow I'll get a raise if you... No! But like the prophet, he recognized, if I can convince her to trust God, that will release the supernatural in her life. That's what we believe. As Bible-believing Christians in this church, we believe that the Bible is true. That God does do miracles. We see them. He heals people's bodies. He blesses people's finances. He is going to rescue people on the other side of the world. I'm thinking right now about the people who we are trying to rescue in Afghanistan. The Christians who are right now praying. You know what the missionaries said, said to us? He said this. He said, pray for us for wisdom. Because as we go to some of these places and rescue people, we know we have only room for certain ones. We need wisdoms to choose which people to leave behind who will likely be killed. He said, pray that we'll be given wisdom regarding who the right person is to take, who needs to go, who, who needs to stay. That level of, of trust, imagine what it's like for those Christians as they just pray, say, God, please send someone to help us get out of this situation. You and I aren't in a situation like that. But we still have the choice to trust whether God will follow through on his word. If he said he will do it, will he complete? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not asking anyone. I'm not trying to twist anybody's arm. I'm not trying to guilt someone into, into an act of giving. I want to help you to be able to give cheerfully. So normally we wait at the end to pray over the offering. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray over the offering right now. We're, gonna, we're doing two things right now. One is I recognize there are some people in here who are taking a step of faith and are going to begin to tithe for the first time in their lives. And I'm happy for you because I foresee the blessing that's coming. The other thing is pray about giving towards the rescue of the Afghan Christians. We're going to be cooperating um, with uh, the other link churches. That's Granville, Holland, a bunch of different churches were getting together and we are trying to make sure that they are able to get, that, that it won't, that the finances won't be the limiting factor on how they can get them out. And I hope that we'll come to the point where we'll get to share some of the stories later. Right now, 
anything I share about the different methods that they've used and the ways that they're doing it could potentially make it so that they don't get to do it. So we won't be sharing any of that online, but just know this. These are our brothers and sisters over there. We have an opportunity to do something for them. I want to encourage you, pray about it. Um, You can put it in the offering as you're leaving. You can also give online. Like I said, uh, this week, if you put missions on what you give, we'll know that that was what it was for. All right, and that's one of the options when you go online to give. Let's pray over this offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for your promises. Lord, we pray a blessing over the Christians that are in Afghanistan who are being threatened with, their lives are being threatened. Recant or die. Lord, we just pray for them. We pray that you would give them uh, strength. We pray that you'd give them wisdom. We pray that you would blind the eyes of, of those, that those who are trying Uh, to stop them, to catch them from leaving. Lord, we just pray for supernatural deliverance there. Lord, we pray for for wisdom and favor for the people who are actively finding and seeking ways to bring them out and bring them to a safe place. Lord, we just thank you for all that you have done so far and that all you are going to do. We pray a blessing over these finances. May they make a massive impact in this community and around the world. In Jesus' name. Before I close, there's an even bigger way in which we need to trust God. And that is with eternity. If you know that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God, you're on your way to heaven, if you were to pass away today, if your heart stopped, you know you'd be with him. Raise your hand. The Bible says, no that you have salvation. If you looked around, if you noticed all those hands went up and that surprised you because you thought you had to wait and find out if you made it, I have good news for you. The Bible doesn't say wait and find out if you got saved. The Bible says no. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, you will be saved. It's a matter of trusting his word. If you want to know for sure, I want to give you that opportunity. With every eye closed here, if you're here and you want to accept, you want to trust God with your soul, trust that he will forgive your sins, trust him for eternity, I want to ask you to raise your hand. If you're watching online, that's you too. We're going to pray. Just repeat after me. Say, Dear God, I thank you that you forgive my sin, that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. I give you my life. I will live to please you and not myself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right.